And here we go. We are live. And this is what I want to talk about tonight, okay? This week's Parsha <clears throat> is Parsha's Akev. And please feel free to ask questions along the way. Akev means the heel. The heel of the body. The lowest part of the foot. And the Torah says, Vahaya Akev, and it will be Akev, if you listen to these laws and you keep them and you do them, then Hashem will protect you and He will keep the covenant and the kindness that He swore to give to your forefathers. And we'll get lots of good stuff. And we'll get grain and wine and oil, and our flocks will be good, and we'll have children. Everything will be good for us. That's basically the beginning of the parsha. So the question is: This word "akev" is a weird word. If you heal, if you heal, then you'll get good stuff. So the word "akev" means heel or ankle. So there's another meaning of the word akev, and it means in return for, the reward. So here it's translated as, and the reward that will happen to you because of what you do, because of keeping the Torah, will be good things. But how is the word heal related to the word reward? What's the connection? So Rashi on the spot tells us the mitzvahs that a person tramples on with their heel. If you listen to those mitzvahs, the mitzvahs that people step on, the minor mitzvahs, the thing that people think aren't important, then you'll have all these incredible blessings. So I want to try to attempt to understand the connection specifically to this word heal <clears throat> over here. Now let me tell you a few other themes in the Parsha. The Parsha basically goes through, talks about different things that happened to us in the 40 years in the desert. Remember, for those of you who have been with us the past few weeks or haven't been, mo the last book of the Torah, say for Devarim, which is the, uh, the book of Deuteronomy, is basically a speech that Moshe gave to the Jewish people on the last day of his life, more or less. The last, let's say, the last month of his life. And he's going through different themes. And here's an interesting one that shows up in this week's Parsha. Okay, it says, don't take credit for your prosperity. Recognize that all the good things that you have come from Hashem. It is not from your own strength. There's a very famous quote here. It says, and you will say in your heart, my own ability and the strength of my hand has accumulated this wealth for me. And the Torah responds, then you must remember Hashem, for it is he who gave you the ability to make wealth. Yeah, we have to. So, big theme in this week's parsha: not to forget Hashem. Another one: don't be self-righteous. He says, when you come to the land of Israel, do not say in your heart, "God has brought me to possess this land because of my righteousness." Says the Torah. Not true. It's not because of your righteousness or the integrity of your heart that you're coming to possess this land. Rather, it's because of the wickedness of the nations alone. That Hashem is removing them from the land of Israel and giving it to you. Rad so again, it's pretty pretty radical. The Torah is saying, don't think you guys are anything special. Jews, nothing special. 
we have a special role to play, perhaps, but not because we are ourselves special. That's what Torah says. Very interesting. <clears throat> Goes through not to forget the golden calf, the the man, the the manna that fell from heaven, the second tablets, the rebellions in the desert, and Moshe tells people that some beautiful, beautiful quotes here that you should serve Hashem in order to love Him, out of love for Him, and you should circumcise your heart, means cut away the barriers that prevent your heart from opening up, and love the convert, fear God, serve God, attach yourself to God, and then it goes through and praises the land of Israel and compares it to Egypt. Israel's not like Egypt. In Egypt, there's the Nile River. Nile River overflows and waters your crops. In Israel, it's not like that. In Israel, you don't get water unless you get rain. Your crops are dependent completely on rain, meaning from Hashem. Egypt is fully functional. You don't need rain from heaven to support your crops. Nile River, make irrigation canals and it's unlimited water supply. Israel is not like that. And there are those that say, additionally, Israel's the only place in the Middle East that doesn't have oil. Although they did recently find oil offshore shore in the Mediterranean. But it's pretty ironic, right? They saw, I saw one time a cartoon that the Jews are yelling at Moses. Of all the places in the Middle East that you took us to, you took us to the one place without oil. Right? But again, it's an interesting thing that, that there's a certain wealth to Egypt and to other countries that, that Israel doesn't have. Israel is lacking a certain natural material wealth. Okay? And now, um, you should listen to my commandments, not out of personal gain, but rather out of love for God. Serve Him in prayer. And we go through the second paragraph of the Shema. Um, uh, good joke, Rebecca. Um, the second paragraph of the Shema, which some of you might be familiar with, which again goes through different themes of if you keep the mitzvahs, you'll get certain physical blessings, such as rain in its right time, and your wine and your oil and your grain will be good. Uh, sorry, oil. We, we mean olive oil. Olive oil, not uh, petroleum. And... Don't go after other gods because then you'll be kicked out of the land of Israel and you should write these words on your doorposts. And there's one major thing, one mitzvah that uh, that I wanted to mention in this week's Parsha, which is the mitzvah of thanking Hashem after eating a meal. It says that you will eat and you will be satisfied and you will bless Hashem. And this is the only mitzvah in the Torah to make a blessing. And I really want to talk about this idea. So we have a lot of themes in the Parsha, but I think that overall the consistent discussion is getting reward for doing mitzvahs. Physical reward, it sounds like. And remembering Hashem. Fearing Hashem. And, um, and not to be self-righteous. Okay, and there's one famous, famous line we'll talk about in a few minutes. Okay, so now the question I want to ask you 
again, keeping in mind, welcome, Ronnie, keeping in mind that uh, I'm a little unprepared tonight. But let's talk about blessing. What's the purpose of making a blessing? Now, we make a lot of blessings, okay? We make a blessings. Does anyone want to mention any of the times that we make blessings? Does anyone know any of the times we make blessings? Anyone? So, when you eat and when you... Great. So, we have blessings on food. Those are the ones that are the most famous, before and after eating food. What else do we make blessings on? Like what? Great. Great. So we make blessing on things that we're thankful for, which would include um, new clothing, inheriting a lot of money, um, on seeing a friend you haven't seen in a long time, right? On on certain occurrences. Anyone have any other, no, anything else we make blessings on? So, yeah. Seeing a rainbow. We make blessings on certain experiences, certain phenomena. Seeing a rainbow, thunder and lightning, certain oceans and rivers and mountains, um, certain unique types of animals, interesting types of people even, um, on seeing a king, maybe even a president, on seeing a large group of people or a large group of Jews, there's different blessings. So on certain phenomena. Anyone else? Anything else? Can we make a blessing on? Yes. Yes, what's your question? So so it has to be a really big group of Jews to make a certain blessing. So I think it's like I think it's like six hundred thousand. I'll try to find it for you. All right, the, the, the ocean, we do make a blessing on certain on the on the ocean, on the Mediterranean. Um but Listen to this. There's something we totally forgot. There's blessings on mitzvahs before doing a mitzvah, before reading from the Torah, before putting on tefillin, before shaking a lulav. On Shabbos, we make kiddush. On Shabbos, before lighting candles, we make a blessing. Basically, essentially, before every mitzvah, there's a blessing to be made. And then in prayer, we make a lot of blessings. So that's that's basically the main theme of blessings food drink smells mitzvahs and then um things that we're giving thanks for and finally um interesting phenomena in the world okay so from where do we learn this idea of making blessings does anyone know there's one blessing that's mandated by the torah only one I might have said it already. Does anyone know? The blessing of making berchat hamazon, benching, blessing after eating bread. After eating a meal when you're satisfied is the only 
mitzvah in the Torah to make a blessing. And from that, the rabbis extrapolated to making all these other types of blessings. So let's try to understand the paradigm. Where does this come from? So I want to share with you another amazing thing that comes out of this week's Parsha that is directly related to the idea of making blessings. It says in this week's Parsha, famous line, Ma Hashem shal me'imach, me'imcha ki'im li'yira. What does Hashem want from you? Only to fear Him. Hashem wants you to fear Him. And this is something that we don't always relate to. What do you mean fear Him? Why do I have to be, be afraid of God? The word fear literally translates as awareness of reality. When you, when you recognize that something's real, you have an awe for it. Right? When you recognize that fire burns, you're in awe of fire. You're not going to put your hand on fire. Fear on the lowest level is awareness of consequences. Recognizing that Hashem is real. And we have an obligation to live with a certain consciousness of that. An awareness of that. But on the higher level, fear means awe. Awe. Like respect and recognition. Ronnie, are you in another country? You're in France? Oh my gosh. I could tell by that balcony. Okay. So the Talmud says something very interesting. What does God expect from you? Only to fear him. The word what in Hebrew is the word ma. Ma means what. Mem he is the word what. The Talmud says don't read the word what now the talmud oftentimes will take words and make like a play on words to teach us a hidden meaning in the word so this is a case like that talmud says don't read the word what rather we read the word maya maya means a hundred if you take the word ma which means what or stuff and you throw into it the letter aleph which is the first letter of the torah which means oneness or God, if you put an aleph inside the word ma, you get mea, which spells out a hundred. Says the Talmud, what's the recipe for fearing Hashem, for living with consciousness and awareness of God? A hundred. Making a hundred blessings a day. And we have an obligation based on this to make a hundred blessings every single day. How do we accomplish a hundred blessings a day? So if you pray the daily prayers, you've got a whole bunch of morning blessings. You've got 19 blessings every Shemona Esrei, every standing prayer, which we say three times a day. So that gets you a whole bunch right there. Then every time you have a drink of water, there's a blessing before and after. Every time you go to the bathroom, there's a blessing. Every time you eat any other type of food, there's a blessing. Not so hard to get to 100. On days like Yom Kippur, where we're not eating anything, so you're getting a lot of blessings in prayer, plus people have a custom to um, make a blessing on smells, on different spices, smelling different spices throughout the day to make a few more blessings. So what's the significance of blessings to enable us to come close to Hashem? 
So let's look at the paradigm of Berchad Amazon, of benching, to understand what the purpose of blessings are. So guys, I want you guys to now think, put on your thinking caps. It must be really late at night in France right now. Um, put on your thinking caps and try to think about what do we know about blessings based on the Torah's mandate to make a blessing after you eat food. Does it make sense to you that that's the number one place the Torah should be telling us to make a blessing? Or does it make more sense for you to have a blessing elsewhere? Before food, after food. What's the Torah trying to tell us? Come on, guys. Uh-huh. So then what's so you're saying after you eat, you don't think about God because you're satisfied. But so Mike's saying before makes more sense because you're elevating the mundane. Wow. Um Mike is definitely elevating the mundane right now in that gym. <laughs> Wow. So Ronnie's also making an argument for before eating because it delays your gratification. It teaches you to hold off on indulging in the physical. All right. Any other arguments for or against before versus after? Before make sense so tatiana do you want to argue after uh, anyone hear her point Tatiana says that we'll, we're going to lose touch with spirituality once our needs are met. So I'll tell you what the Talmud says. The Talmud says, why, why is the Torah telling us we have to make a blessing after we eat? So if a person has to say thank you when they're full, think about it like this. If, you, if you're starving and in the, walking through the desert, and you arrive at a lemonade stand, and it's boiling out, and you're so thirsty, and then you realize you have no money on you. And you're like, literally, you haven't drank in three days. You're about to die of, of thirst. And there's this lemonade stand in the desert. And you're like, please, please give me something to drink. I beg of you. I'll do anything. And the guy has mercy on you and gives you a drink right 
you drink it. You're like, thanks, peace. All right, where do you show more expression of gratitude? When you're in need or when you're satisfied? When is it more incumbent upon you to show gratitude? When you need it or after you already had it? All right, so most people, but you can't imagine, right? If I'm mandating a thank you afterwards, certainly I should mandate you to say please before, All right? So the Talmud says the Torah obligates us to make a blessing after the meal, but logic dictates we have to make one before the meal as well. Before the meal is because how can you eat something with, <laughs> when you're hungry without asking for it first? The Talmud says that's called stealing. You have to first, that whole world belongs to Hashem. Before you ingest something, you have to ask for permission to eat it. So the Torah says, the, the Talmud explains that although it's biblical to say thanks after the meal, it's logical to say thanks before the meal. And all the more so do you have to say thanks before the meal. But the question then remains, why does the Torah tell us that we have to do it after the meal? Why is the Torah telling us that? Because like, like Tatiana said, and, and others have echoed, if you, of course you're going to say th ask for something before. If you're starving and thirsty in the desert, you're going to beg for something to drink. But afterwards... That's just common decency. You don't need it anymore. But a, a human being shows gratitude once they've gotten what they need. You no longer want to do it anymore. You no longer need to do it anymore. Now it's the right thing to do. You hear the difference? Before you eat, it just makes sense. Of course, you got to say please before you eat something. If you're starving, you're begging for food, you're going to say please. Afterwards... It's a sign of gratitude. How could you not do it? And yet many people don't. Many people, once they get that cup of lemonade, are going to walk away. Peace out. So the Torah is telling us that the purpose of blessings is gratitude. Like Tatiana said. That we need to learn to cultivate within ourselves an attitude of gratitude. Of recognizing that when our needs are not met, then we need Hashem, right? When we have needs, then suddenly there's a God. As the famous expression goes, there are no atheists in a foxhole. When someone is in a foxhole and there's machine gun fire coming from all sides, they can't help but pray to God. But when you have all your needs met and you're living in comfort, and things are going great, suddenly you forget God. And that's what this Parsha goes into again and again and again. Don't say, Don't say my strength and my intelligence is what got me all this goodness. 
recognize that even when thing when things are good, recognize that there is a God. <clears throat> um, Rebecca, ask your question at the end because I can't. Too complicated for me to read. Um, so, the purpose of blessings, the Talmud reveals, is as follows: blessings after food is gratitude. See, that's a nice rhyme, right? To engender an attitude of gratitude, we have to make a blessing after food. Blessings before food, however, are common sense, but the Talmud reveals there's something deeper going on in blessings before food. Ma Hashem imcha. What does God ask of you but to fear Him? The word ma means what? It means stuff, physicality. Says the Talmud, inside that word ma, there's really a hidden letter that you can't see with your eyes. There's a hidden letter, Aleph. Aleph, which stands for oneness, for spirituality, for the alufo shal olam. The word Aleph means teacher or master, chief. The, the chief of the world is hiding underneath and inside the stuff of this world. There's a hidden spark of spirituality inside the food. When we make a blessing, a hundred blessings a day, what we're doing is we're recognizing and connecting to the spirituality that hides, hides latently inside the stuff of existence. So the purpose of blessings before food and in natural phenomena is to recognize that there is a spiritual existence all around us. And that's the idea of fearing Hashem, realizing that spirituality, that God's existence is real. It's real. This world looks like a world of stuff. There is a spiritual existence hidden inside the stuff. That's the purpose of blessings, is to unleash the spirituality that's hidden within the food. And that's what the Talmud means, that the entire world belongs to Hashem. But when we make a blessing, now it belongs to us. Because when you make a blessing, you're acknowledging the Creator. You're engendering gratitude. You're recognizing that everything is a gift, every moment, every bite of food. And at the same time, you're also connecting to the spark of spirituality inside that food. And by making a blessing, you're tying together the entire universe. You're picking up the physical and connecting it to the spiritual. And as it says in, um, in the Torah, it is not on bread alone that a person lives, but rather on that which comes out of the mouth of God. The, the word of God, the spark of spirituality that is hidden inside the physical, that's what really nourishes us. It's not the physical matter that we need. It's the spirituality that we need. And in fact, the Kabbalistic and Hasidic writings explain that through eating, that eating is a place where the body and soul connect. Because the body gets nourishment from the physical matter. The soul gets nourishment from the spiritual matter inside the food. So eating is one of the most spiritual actions we can do. Because in eating, we're literally connecting to physicality and turning the physical into the spiritual. Because when you eat something, it becomes part of you. And then when you use that energy to do something good, which only human beings can do, because animals don't have free will, 
So when we use the energy inside the food to do something good, we're literally lifting up the entire universe. On the other token, and we've talked about this in the past, when you take the energy inside food and then you go do something bad, you're destroying the entire universe. Because remember, inside that food, inside that apple, is all the different photons of light and sunlight energy and all the water, gallons and gallons of water that that tree needed to absorb, all the minerals in the earth that went into that tree to give you that apple, including the spark of spirituality inside that apple and then the vitamins and the nutrients, you're literally lifting up the entire universe. If you eat meat, it's even more because that cow ate tons and tons of blades of grass that absorbed all the minerals from the ground, the rays of sunlight and the water. So now you're eating that cow, which ate all that, and and now you have inside you a double, even a more greater obligation to do good with that energy. That that cow now now became part of you. So either you lift up the cow, or the cow pulls you down the level of a cow. So you are what you eat, or perhaps better, more precisely put, you are how you eat. If you eat with spiritual intention, gratitude, recognizing the spirituality in the food, saying thank you, you lift up the food. If, on the other hand, the food brings you down to its level, so you're becoming lower than the animal or the plant that you ate. So eating is a very big thing in Judaism. All right. It's a it's a big obligation. It's an opportunity to do something incredibly spiritual, to take inanimate and make it human. So we have to be very careful how we eat, when we eat, why we eat. So um, so now <clears throat> let's take it a step further. Okay. So just give me a second to catch my thoughts because I don't have notes tonight. Um, any questions on anything we said so far? So there's a uh, famous story of someone who came to a Hasidic Rebbe, Hasidic master. And he said to him, Rebbe, what's the difference between me and you? We both eat an apple. We make a blessing before we eat the apple and we eat the apple. Why are you so holy? Why, does, why do people come to watch you eat? I don't know if you guys know. I've mentioned it before. But there's a Hasidic custom Friday night to go to the Rebbe, to go to your teacher's house. And watch him eat. That might sound ludicrous. But there's something in every Hasidic community until today called a a tish. Tish means table in Yiddish. Where you go, after you finish your meal, you go sit around the Rebbe's table and you sing and you hear words of Torah. But you also, part of it is to watch how the Rebbe engages in physicality. How does the Rebbe eat? Just on a related topic, there's a story in the Talmud of a rabbi who snuck underneath his rebbe's bed while he was intimate with his wife. And afterwards he pops out and the rabbi's like, what are you doing in my room? And he says, I'm here to learn Torah. He said, what? He said, I want to know, how does the rebbe engage in physicality? Right? So so this this disciple says to the rebbe, you eat an, make a blessing, eat an apple. I make a blessing and eat the apple. We're no different than each other. The Rebbe responded, no, there's a big difference. You see, you want to eat an apple. So before you eat the apple, you have to make a blessing. So you make a blessing. I, on the other hand, I want to make a blessing. So therefore, I have to take an apple and eat it in order so I can make a blessing. 
The idea of blessings is awareness, awareness that God is with us and around us at all times, that there's spirituality in every single experience in every moment. Prevents us from thinking that we're in charge of our success in this world. One of the greatest pitfalls in life from a spiritual perspective is thinking that you're in charge of the universe. We all, at different moments in our life, think that we're God. And the more successful we are, the more likely we are to forget Hashem and to think, you know what? I'm the one that did it. There's a famous um, scene from The Simpsons, I believe, that Homer Simpson is driving around looking for a parking spot. And he says, please, God, please give me a parking spot. And just then you see the heavens open up and the clouds part. And suddenly the car right in front of him pulls out of the spot. And then Homer looks up and he says, never mind. Right? We are, uh, we're very quick to turn to God when we need something and very quick to forget God when our needs are met. There's another famous uh, Jewish story that, of a guy who's uh, hanging out in his town. And suddenly they go around announcing his phone starts blasting. There's a flood coming, a flood coming through the town. And everyone says, run, flee. And he says, no, God will save me. And, you know, I heard a story many years ago, Hurricane Katrina, a guy living in, uh, was it Texas or New Orleans? I think it was New Orleans. A guy living in New Orleans, Jewish guy who, um, who ended up his house flooded. And he got on a boat with his tefillin. And he hadn't put on tefillin in years. He ended up putting on tefillin on the boat, got rescued, a fam amazing story. Um, decided to start becoming religious because he was saved. Anyway, so so there's a story of the guy. The flood's coming, and people say, "Flee, flee! Flood's coming." He says, "No, no, God will save me." And the floodwaters start coming, and then the police start traveling through the town with loudspeakers. Everyone must flee. And he says, "No, God will save me." And the floodwaters literally start coming through the town. Everyone evacuated. He's the water is outside his house. And then a boat comes by and they say, get in, get in. Come on. The flood's coming. He says, no, God will save me. The water keeps rising. He eventually goes to his roof. He's sitting on his roof. And the flood water is literally all around his house. The water is rising up to the roof level. And suddenly a helicopter comes by and they say, they throw down a ladder. Get in, get in. The flood is coming. He says, no, no, God will save me. And then the water rises above the roof and he drowns. And he goes up to heaven and he says, God, why didn't you save me? And God says, what do you mean? I sent you the helicopter. I sent you the boat. I sent you the police car. Like, it's very, again, we have to, uh, we have to recognize that although we have to do actions in this world, right? God doesn't save those who don't save themselves. We have to do actions, but we have to recognize that ultimately Hashem is the one who is giving us the power to succeed, right? Who gives us the power of intellect, the power of using our hands, the opportunity to have a job. It is all a gift. It is all a gift. And that is the ultimate purpose in many ways of mitzvahs is to recognize that Hashem is with us at every moment in our life. So there's, there's a famous question that the snake, the snake in the Torah is cursed. 
And what is the curse that the snake gets? Does anyone know? One of the curses of the snake is that the dirt of the ground will be your bread. And there's a debate in the Talmud about what that means. And one opinion is that the snake literally eats dirt. That even if you give him all the greatest foods in the world, all he wants is dirt. And the other opinion of Talmud is that even if he eats all the greatest foods in the world, all he tastes is dirt. So ask the commentators, how is that a curse? How is it a curse to eat dirt? In fact, it sounds like an incredible blessing. Why is it a blessing if your greatest desire in the world is to eat dirt? Why is that an incredible blessing if you eat dirt for for a living? Anyone? (laughs) Ah, if you eat dirt, if you like dirt, then you're satisfied wherever you are. You have no needs because dirt is found everywhere. Especially in Paris, Ronnie. Oh, he's gone. Right? Dirt is everywhere. I was going to warn him to be careful about the bed bugs. Um, So how is that a curse to have your needs met wherever you are? Anyone want to take a guess at an answer? says Rebecca you won't appreciate not having it your needs are met all the time and let's let's just add another another angle to that is that if your needs are met all the time you have no need for Hashem that when we have what we need we think we don't need God say the commentaries that is the greatest curse the greatest curse is when we have everything we need And then we forget Hashem. So the purpose of needs and lacks is that we have to turn to the creator, which is the meaning of life, is developing connection to the creator. And that only takes place when we have needs. Now, when your needs are met, of course, you can turn to Hashem and give thanks. But it is much harder to remember to do that. So the blessing of living in the land of Israel, the one place in the Middle East without oil, a place where you can only survive on rainwater, which according to Judaism comes because of our prayers, unlike Egypt, which is naturally irrigated at all times, is because Israel is a land that you can only survive in with Hashem's help. Rainwater is a blessing that you have to be thankful for because it doesn't come from you. The Egyptian Nile is the same as the Saudi Arabian oil. It's natural, long-lasting reservoirs of sustenance. 
And Israel is the one place in the Middle East that does not have that because we have to constantly rely on Hashem. So let's turn back to the first line in this week's Parsha and see if we could tie it all together. So the Torah, the Parsha begins, and it will be heal, slash in return, reward. That if you keep the mitzvahs, then Hashem will remember the covenant and the kindness that he swore to our forefathers. And Rashi points out, why is it using this word heal for reward? And Rashi says, because it's those mitzvahs that a person tramples on, steps on, the things that we think are insignificant. It's because of those that will get true reward. So perhaps we can answer it as follows. Why this word akev, heal? So the, there's a very interesting thing that our generation, we believe that we're at the final times before Mashiach, is called the Ikfis de Meshicha, the footsteps of the Messiah. The footsteps of the Messiah. And the last generation before the Mashiach comes is described as the heel, the heel of time. What's significant about the heel? So if you ever notice, the heel of your foot is the most insensitive part of the body. Right? You could literally walk on colds. It's extremely rough and calloused. So there, there are those that explain that our generation, and as we get closer and closer to the Messianic era, we become more and more numb to spirituality, more and more calloused, farther and farther from the eyes, the head, the brain, the mouth, right? The higher parts of the body, which the previous generations were described as the parts of the body that are essential to the, the life of the body. And we're described as the heel of the body, the lowest, most insensitive part of the body. But someone, the, the greatest student of Chaim Vital, the greatest student of the Arizal, the, uh, the greatest Kabbalist of all time, asked his, his master, you know, what makes our generation so great? And he was speaking several hundred years ago. And the Arizal says that each generation is greater than the generation before. So he said, how could that be? How could it be that our generation, which is so lowly on a spiritual level, we're so disconnected from true spirituality compared to our grandparents and our great-grandparents who lived with such sublime connection. And even if all those of us whose grandparents weren't observant, if you go back a few generations ago, people were made of such, such a stronger material so much more connected in a deep way. The Russian Jews who were able to survive, the Jews who went through the Holocaust and kept their faith. And those who didn't, there's no judging them, right? Because we certainly, we certainly wouldn't withstand the test that our ancestors went through. So the Rizal says the later generations are much greater than the earlier generations. How could that be? He said, because for us, we're so disconnected. With each generation, we become more disconnected from spirituality that when we do a mitzvah, it's worth so much more. When we connect to spirituality, because we're so thick and calloused and disconnected, every single act of spirituality that we do 
is connecting us on the highest possible level. So that's one reason why this time period is called the Ichfis de Mashiach, the heels of the Mashiach. But there's another very interesting point, is that the heel is the foot, the sole of the foot is the, the foundation for the entire body. Our foot holds the whole thing up. So even though we might be the lowest generation and we might be so much less spiritually connected, we are holding up the entire history of the Jewish people. It's all resting on our shoulders. And says one of the great Hasidic teachers of our time, Ramosha Wolfson, I believe, says that there's something else that's amazing about the heel. Because the heel is so calloused, because the heel is so coarse, it's able to go places that the rest of your body can't go. You can walk on things that would cause other parts of your body to bleed. He says, because we're calloused. On one hand, it means we're a little disconnected from spiritual sensitivity. But on the other hand, we can go places that our ancestors couldn't go. We have the ability to go into the depths of some of the most challenging situations that we've ever been in. You can't walk outside without being bombarded by all sorts of stimuli, all sorts of ideas that try to pull you away from spirituality and tell you that you're a body, right? You can't live in your house without being bombarded with stimuli from your phone every second, 24-7. So we literally have the ability to do things that our, our other generations were not able to do. So although we would never have survived the Holocaust spiritually. We never would have survived communist Russia while holding on to our Judaism. On the other hand, our ancestors might not have been able to survive walking in midtown Manhattan or going into a bar. Not that I'm recommending that. But the places that we go and we have the ability to connect to spirituality in places that no one has ever gone before. And we're not supposed to put ourselves into temptation or put ourselves into challenging situations, but the reality is it's just walking outside our house puts us into challenging situations nowadays. And therefore we have to hold on, not through the strength of our faith, like our ancestors, but through the callousness of our bodies. It's through our numbness that enables us to survive. And we're literally holding up the entire universe. So those mitzvahs that we find to be insignificant are really the greatest opportunities. Why do we call it the heel? Because the goal of Judaism is to bring spirituality into the most physical places, the most desensitized, calloused places. So that's the goal of Judaism. And the word Yaakov, which is, one of the names of the Jewish people, the forefather of the 12 tribes, Jacob. The word Yaakov is made up of two words. Made up of Akev, which means heel. When Yaakov was born, he was holding on to his brother's heel or ankle. That's where he gets the word Akev. And the letter Yud. The letter Yud represents spirituality, God. The goal is to bring the Yud, the highest level of spirituality, into the heel, into the lowest level of physicality. And we do that literally through making blessings, through making brachas, and through connecting the physical and the spiritual. That's our job. It's through that that all the reward comes. 
all the connect spiritual reward and physical reward. Although we don't live in a place as uh, irrigated as Egypt or as uh, wealthy as Saudi Arabia, the spiritual wealth of being, having needs, unlike the snake who has all its needs met, of finding ourselves in situations in life where we're lacking when it comes to relationships, we're longing to connect. So many people who need money, who need livelihood nowadays in post-corona age, people who are lacking in finding their soulmate, who are lacking in healthy relationships, people who are lacking in negative relations, who are in need of getting out of negative relationships, people who have all sorts of emotional needs. These are the greatest opportunities for connection because in recognizing that our needs are the ticket to connecting to God and that that's where the real blessing comes from, from acknowledging Hashem in every moment of our life. So we should all be blessed to recognize the incredible blessings that are hiding in the stuff of this world, in the hardships of this world, and in every experience of this world. I want to wish you all a beautiful, beautiful Shabbos and an incredible life of long-term blessings.